0: May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him.
1: And welcome to our fourth edition of Drive-In Church here at East Taylorville. If you are joining us online over here on Facebook, we just want to welcome you as well. Uh, If you have any issues with that, make sure that you just chime in there in the chat box, and we'll try to fix what we can. But uh, I just want to encourage you this morning. Psalm 67 is what we just heard. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us to make his face shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let all peoples praise you. And that's what we're here to do today is to to, to praise the Lord. And I just want to encourage you during this time. uh, I know it seems odd to have church this way, and it's been odd, and it's going to be odd for a while. Uh, But we've had more people hear the gospel um, via this virus because our our services are streamed online uh, over the airwaves. I know we probably had over 20,000 views over the past four weeks of people hearing the gospel via uh, the message or from the song as well. Uh, And so if you're in your car right now, if you have Facebook, if you would like to get your phone out, find our Facebook feed. uh, It's at East Hills of Baptist Church and share that. I would encourage you to mute it if you're in your car, because it's going to be about 10 or 15 seconds behind. But that way, all these people can share it with their friends, uh, and then we can have more people hear the gospel uh, this morning via social media. So I would encourage you to do that. Um, but if you will right now, we're going to turn up our radio in our cars, and so we'll turn it up up here and uh, 92.5, and we'll begin with some worship.
0: Praise the Father.
2: the Father, praise the Son. stone was moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born then the spirit lit the flame Now this gospel truth of old Shall not kneel, shall not faint By his blood and in his name In his freedom I am free For the love of Jesus Christ Who has resurrected me Praise the Father
3: Of you know, one of the blessings of trouble, one of the blessings of pain and suffering is that it should and it often does move us to prayer. It is in those times where we hurt that we want to seek Him. There's so many times where we find it easy, we don't suffer, we're comfortable, and it's very easy to forget where that comes from. And the blessing of trouble is that we should be moved to our knees and we should be thankful first Thessalonians 5 says this in verse 16 rejoice always pray without ceasing in everything give thanks everything meets everything for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you as we come to this time of prayer this morning um, one of the things I think we need to do as believers is just reflect on how he's blessed us These past few weeks have been unlike any other. But you think about it, in my lifetime, I've never had to deal with this before. We've never as a country really really had to respond like this and had this kind of fear. So what a blessing that's been, that we've lived our lives with relative comfort without fear. So as we go to this time of prayer today, what we're going to do is just focus on thanking God for how he's blessed us. And what we're going to do, I just want to encourage you in your cars. Um, If someone would be willing to lead your time of prayer in your car, and for those that are at home watching this uh, through Facebook, you may just want to pause for just a minute and uh, spend some time as a family just praising Him and thanking Him. So right now, what I'd like for you to do, just begin to pray in your car. Somebody just to lead you, and just begin by thanking God for your family. And just thank Him for how He's blessed you. How He's blessed your home. Give Him praise for that. Give him praise for your health, his protection, and his provision. As a family of believers, just thank him for his salvation, for you, for your family. Thank him for our nation that we live in and how safe we've been and how he's provided thank him for our church family thank him for your friends and how God has provided people around you to encourage you many times to meet needs and thank him that he has never left you no matter what we go through he is with us Thank him for his faithfulness and his presence even this morning with us. And Father, we love you and we thank you that you have been so good to us. We're thankful that you have saved us through the death of Christ. Lord, you called us, you've forgiven us, and Lord, we have the promise. Of eternal life. Lord, we have no need to fear anything here on this side, in this side, in this life. Lord, we have no need to fear um, our enemy because, Lord, you have conquered it all. There's no one greater, and we thank you that you're with us and that you will never leave us and never forsake us. God, thank you for allowing us to be in this place this morning. Thank you for those that are joining us in their homes this morning. Lord, that we have technology that that's even possible. We're thankful that your word has gone forth, Lord, in a greater way over the past few weeks because of the trouble. And, Lord, we know that you have a hand in that. So, God, we thank you that you're in control. And, Lord, as we get ready to sing this, we thank you that you are a wonderful, merciful Savior. We say that we love you and we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: So Counselor, comforter, keeper, spirit, we long to. So...
4: Good morning, East Hills Baptist Church. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Psalm chapter 16. And if you have your notes, uh, that's really actually part of our bulletin. The title of the message this morning is Praising God in the Face of Death. This is the Psalm of David. And as, as many of the Psalms are, David writes these Psalms either during the crisis, probably this one was written after. But one thing you got to understand, that whenever David wrote this Psalm, David thought, for whatever reason, we don't know how old he was, Okay, probably older, David thought he was dying. So when he writes this psalm, David reflects on the thought that he thought he was dying. And the first thing that he writes about is not about his kingdom. It's not about his stuff. He writes about God and what God has done in his life. Notice verse 1, David says this, Preserve me, O God, that's one name for God, for in you I put my trust. Verse 2, O my soul, you have said to the Lord, another name of God, you are my Lord, a third name of God. So in just two verses, he mentions three different titles of God, which have three different meanings. He says this, My goodness is nothing apart from you. What a tremendous saying. He says, As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied, who hasten after another God, little G. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are my portion, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer this morning, we thank you, Lord. What a psalm. What a song! Lord, David shares his heart. And like David always does, Lord, he's just honest about himself about his feelings, about his relationship with you. And, Father, he is praising you in the face of death. Father, what a blessing, what a benefit we have from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that death, the last enemy, has been destroyed for your children forever. Father, help us to learn today from David. Father, I pray that you would challenge us, Lord, convict us. Father, through, uh, Lord, this psalm and the Holy Spirit, Lord, conform us into your image. Father, if there's anyone listening... Lord, uh, by radio, Lord, on social media or in their cars this morning who've never placed their faith and trust in you. Holy Spirit, do a work that we can't. Give give sight to the blind. Raise the spiritually dead and save for your honor and for your glory. And Father, for those of us that are saved. Father, many of us have loved ones on the other side. Lord, I pray that this would give us extreme, uh, Lord, comfort and peace. Lord, knowing that they're with you. And Father, also when our time comes, Lord, may we be like David and have confidence and be able to praise you even as the last enemy is destroyed in our life. Father, may we give you honor and glory and praise for it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Steve Lawson in his commentary on Psalm 16 says this, This psalm is a song of confident trust in God in which the psalmist was able to live life to the fullest because he was gripped with a living hope in God beyond the grave. No matter what David faced, his trust was anchored in the Lord, and this caused his heart to rejoice. David was gripped by a resolute reliance on God in the face of death. He looked beyond this life to the glories of the resurrection and glorification to come. They say when you come to die, your life will flash before your eyes, and that's what this psalm is about. David's primary focus is on his God and his relationship with God. It's not on his family right now his throne, his stuff, but his Lord. There's an old adage that says this, no one is ready to live until they're ready to die. True faith can face death with confidence. It looks death in the eye and it says, where is your victory? Where is your sting? True faith can mock and taunt death. When true saving faith is in our hearts, there's a confidence, even as David says, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, death is a conquered foe because of Jesus. And his triumph is our triumph. His victory is our victory. When our day comes, we can face it with confidence. Our faith can rise above the terminal news from a doctor. Our faith can rise above a tragic event that happens to ourselves or our loved ones. We can face death with confidence, and that's what this psalm is ultimately about. With the very real thought of death, David is not panicked. David is not frightened. He has a calm, courageous, confident faith, and he lives this way. Verses 8 and 11 were quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost and was cited by Paul when he preached at Antioch in Acts 13. And I would just say this, What a psalm, what a song. In the face of mounting adversity, David rejoices and we see no signs of worry. Listen to this uh, quote I read about worry from John MacArthur. He says, Christians who worry believe God can redeem them, break the shackles of Satan, take them from heaven to hell, put them into his kingdom, and give them eternal life, but they just don't think he can give it, get them through the next couple of days. When you worry, he says, you're saying in effect, God, I just don't think I can trust you. Here is David facing death, okay, and he's not worried. He's not panicked. He is facing the enemy of enemies, and David shares three things with us about God. And the first one is this. David can rejoice in the face of death because the God he serves is Sovereign. Verse 1 says this Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. Preserve me or be my refuge. It's, this word, preserved, is the word that was used uh, when God told David or told Adam in the garden. He says, Keep the garden. It's the Hebrew word shamar. It means to protect, it means personal protection. David is saying with a quiet confidence that God is my refuge. In difficult circumstances, he turns from his circumstances. And to the Lord, David was a warrior. But at this moment in David's life, David's saying, I cannot fix this. I have no answer for this. And the first thing David says about God in verse 1 is this. He uses the term El, God, which simply means strong or mighty one, the omnipotent one. And what David is saying is this, preserve me, O omnipotent one, for in you I put my trust. And what he's saying is this, God, you have all power. You have all power to do anything. And I would say this, God's power is not limited or hindered by anything, ever. He never exhausts His power. He never runs to the limit of His power. He has 100% power at all times. There's no personal or spiritual being that can hinder or limit God one-tenth of a second in any way. God does what He wills, and it's that simple. Tozer put it this way, talking about the omnipotence of God. He says, since He has at His command all the power in the universe... The Lord God omnipotent can do anything as easily as anything else. All his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside himself for a renewal of strength. All the power required to do what he wills to do lies in undiminished fullness in his own infinite being. When David comes to this time when he thinks he might die, he says, God, you can save me if you want to. You have all power. Nothing can thwart you. He says, preserve my life. And that means to protect or keep. And he's saying, he's saying this, God, you are my protection. You remember last week, I believe it was, when the tornadoes were coming? I looked on my weather app, and it said that they were going to come between 2.30 and 5 a.m. I don't know what you do at your house, but what I do at the steel household between 2.30 a.m. and 5 a.m. is I sleep. And I thought to myself, tornadoes may come through Alexander County. Okay, and we've had tornadoes on Shook Lane, by the way. And I said, so what are you going to do? And this was my prayer before I went to bed. God, I trust you. You're my refuge. And Lord, I'm going to bed. And I'm going to let you worry about these tornadoes. The sovereignty of God can be a soft pillow that you lay on your head every night if you trust him. What David is saying here is this, Lord, I trust you. Notice the second part of this in verse 2. Oh, my soul... I have said to the Lord. This is the second name he uses. This is the term Jehovah. As a matter of fact, this is the term that God used when Moses said, Who shall I tell them you are? And God said to Moses, Tell them I am that I am. That is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am. Jesus used this title of himself several times. In John 8, he said, I am. He says, I am he. I am. And they sought to stone him in the garden. They said, Are you Jesus? And he said, I I am, and they fell down. When Jesus said this about himself, the Jews picked up stone to crush him and to kill him because they said, you're blaspheming. David says this, my servant God who is I am. The word I is personal. And it's almost like David is asking us here today, do you trust your father? You have a personal God. Do you trust him? And then the word am is present tense, which means this about God, and this is what David is trying to tell us. God has no future or past. God has no yesterday or tomorrow, just now. Which means this, whatever God has prophesied in the future, we're waiting on it. He is not. It will come to pass. The promises of God are yes, as Joshua says. I am. And David says this, Oh my soul, David himself is crying out to the Lord. There comes a time in your life when you'll have to pray for yourself. And this is what David, I think, is telling us. God, I can't do nothing about this situation, but you're sovereign, you're all-powerful, and you're present, present, and I'm just going to leave it to you. The second thing we see here under the sovereignty of God is that David says, I will submit to your will. Notice what he says here. My goodness, in verse 2, is nothing apart from you. All that I have is this. You are my Lord, he says. The third word he uses is Adonai, which means master or boss and what he's saying is this Lord I am willing to submit to your lordship I trust you because you are sovereign and you are good and I will trust you and he goes on to say this apart from you is no good thing and he's basically making this statement at the end of my life I can say this that I am content with where I am because I have a relationship with the God of Israel David is saying this he's Sharing his submission to God, and then he's sharing his sufficiency in God. When David is facing death, he's saying this I am content with my life. Contentment is not natural. We have to learn it. Paul shared that with us in Philippians 4. He says this Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says this, and David would say amen to it, I have learned that Christ is enough. If God is sovereign, as David says, regardless of the trials and the storms you face, even death, you can rejoice in him. The second thing David rejoices in is this fact that God is good. He's good. Notice verse 3. David says this about the things in his life. As for the saints who are on the earth, there are the excellent ones in whom is my delight. He's talking about his church, if you will. Listen to this comment. The Hebrew word for saints in verse 3 is a fascinating term. Historically, it's the Hebrew word hasadim. That word has a tremendous history in Israel. It was the hasadim two centuries before Christ who resisted the attempts to pollute the religion of Israel by pagan customs, and who stood up against the Assyrian leaders and rebelled. The Hasidim were called the holy ones. It literally means loyal ones, the pure ones, the highest ones. The excellent ones, he says here, or majestic ones. And what David is saying is this. In my life, I have been surrounded by good, godly people. They are my delight. It's amazing how Christianity transcends culture, race, economics, politics, David seems to feel a kindred spirit with, spirit with any kind of God-fearer. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. I've been to the Philippines. I've been to Haiti. And when I'm in church with people like that, I have a kindred fear, spirit. And what he's saying here as he faces death, he's saying, I love the brethren. I love being with them. And if I die, I've made good relationships, and I'll be with them again. Your earthly family is limited. Listen to this. Your earthly family is limited. Your spiritual family is eternal. And I would ask you this question, who are your pallbearers? It's like David saying that the people whom I love the most will be there at my funeral. They are the excellent ones. And he's saying, God, you've been good to me. You've given me good people in my life. And notice the contrast in verse 4. He's talking about the ungodly ones. He says, their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another god. This is a different group, a different set of feelings. He feels compassion for them, but distance from them. Why? Why? One is in the kingdom, one is outside the kingdom. It's like apples and oranges, oil and water, separated for eternity, there is no kindred spirit. He says this, they hasten or barter or run after other gods. He says they have forsaken the true and living God and followed idols. They barter or hasten after another god. They, they, it's like they say, let's make a deal with the devil. Who will fit my life the best? And he says their sorrows will be multiplied. He says I do not, notice what he says, I do not drink their offerings of blood. One commentator put it this way, David did not practice interfaith worship. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the Christ Jesus. How do we respond to those who run after other gods? We evangelize and tell them about Jesus. But he goes on to say this, I will not even mention their small gods, that it might honor them, nor take their names on my lips. Historically, Israel turned from the true God to pursue heathen gods of their neighbor's. They would sacrifice oftentimes their children to devils, and they would swear by their names. David says, I'm not going to do that. Joshua, at the end of his life, said this to the children of Israel. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or the left, and lest you go among these nations, those who remain among you. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. What David is saying is this. My loyalty is to the one true God who has no equal on this earth or the universe. On my deathbed, that's what he thought it was, but it wasn't. I will not compromise. Jesus is Lord and no one else. Jesus is worthy, no one else. Jesus is the King of King, no one else. Only Jesus offers salvation, no one else. No other religion is valid. All are false and will damn one's soul to eternity, to hell for all eternity. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He talks about his church. The second thing he talks about is his cup. Notice what he says. He says in verse 5, O oh Lord, you're the, portion, you're the portion of my inheritance and my cup. David says, Because of my faith in the Lord, I have an inheritance, which means this in the Hebrew, my sure possession, which endures beyond present difficulties, even beyond death. In Christ, the believer has a secure treasure, though in this life his lot may be empty and hopeless. You may not have a thing on this earth. You may be the poorest person in Alexander County, but if you know Jesus, you have an inheritance that is far beyond measure. I don't know if anybody in this life will leave me anything when they die, but I know my Heavenly Father has. Let me read you what, I, what He's left me and what He's left you. In 1 Peter 1, Peter 1 verses 3-5, through 5, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. And then he describes it. This inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled. It does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. David says, I have a great inheritance. Adrian Rogers said this years ago, what is important in this life is what money can't buy and death can't take away. David affirms to his soul, as he thinks he's dying, that I have a great inheritance to look forward to. He says, the Lord is my cup. In David's day, whenever a traveler would come to your home on a hard, weary travel, you would offer him a cup, and that would be his satisfaction. And what David is saying is this, when I when I survey my life, the Lord has been my satisfaction. He says, the lines, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. These are boundary lines that, What David is saying is that God has a purpose for my life. When I look back on God's purpose for my life, they have fallen to me in in pleasant places. One commentator said this, God assigned to David kingship, success, and wealth, and fame, and children, and victory in battle, and a long life. It all came from God. Every good and perfect thing that David had was a personal gift from the Lord. And what David is saying is this, I have a circle around my life, And the Lord is in the middle of the circle. David looks back and says, God has been good to me. And then in verse 7, he talks about his counsel. He says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. David is basically saying this, that God himself has given me direction and purpose for my life. And I trust what his will is for my life. Years ago, I went to Baptist Hospital to see a godly lady from another church. And as I was making my way to Baptist, a friend of mine called me. and says, I just want you to know that this lady has cancer all over her body. All over her body. There's no way she can live unless something supernatural happens. And, and of course, she didn't live. And I thought to myself, I didn't know she was that sick. And I knew this lady from another church. And I thought to myself, what can you say to a person in that situation, who was not very old. And I remember walking into that room, and I remember just standing there, and this is what she said as soon as I walked in. She said, Jamie, I'm not second-guessing God. He's been good to me. I am not second-guessing God in this. What she's saying is this, God's counsel to me has been a blessing. And that led David to his chorus. Notice this, he says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel david is not cursing david is not blaspheming david is not complaining when he thinks he may die he's looking forward and look looking upward notice what he says i will i'm going to do it i will bless the lord what is inside of you will come out i remember years ago at another church as well going to see a godly man he and his wife were such sweet people and uh, we had learned that he was literally on his deathbed. He slept on his couch in his living room. And me and the pastor at that church at the time said, let's go see this person. Said, we don't know how much time he has left. Always a joy to visit with both of them. And we never knocked. They'd say, you don't have to knock. You just come on in. They never locked their doors. You remember those days? And I remember when we went to their doorstep, I opened the door and I heard yelling and I heard screaming. And I stopped the pastor and I said, Are they fighting? Surely these are the nicest people in the world. And we started listening, we said, well, he's, he's the one yelling. <laughs> and we went, we, we, we eased our way in there and walked into that living room, and this man, this elderly man, was sitting on his bed with his hands in the air just praising the Lord, just thanking God for how good he was, yelling it out loud, and his wife was over uh, in the other part of the living room just crying. She says, he's just having him a time. And about three days later after that, we... we uh, did this person's funeral. David, at, at this time in his life, says, I will bless the Lord. He says, I have set the Lord continually before me, is what David says. This, this means I, I have disciplined myself. I'm vigorous about it. This is present tense, what David is saying. Every day of my life, I'm focused on the Lord. My whole life, I have set him before me. Why would I change now? This is who I am. Jesus is my everything. Jesus told us, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Paul told the church at Colossae, set your mind on things above. And David says this, I have set the Lord, in verse 8, always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Notice the right hand. What David is saying is me and the Lord are close. That was a place of most importance. And I would tell you this. Is the Lord at your right hand? God, he's saying, God, you are the highest priority of my life. And when he come to die, he gave him incredible peace, comfort, and joy. The third thing David says is this. He says, God, I can praise you because you're sovereign. I can praise you because you have been good in my life. And the third thing he says is this, God, you have been faithful. Notice verse 4. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. And what David is saying is this in verse 9. Death is not the end for David. It is not the end. He says, I have one foot in the grave and you're not going to abandon me. You're with me now more than ever. You'll either deliver me and I will live or you, will co- or, or, or you say I will come home. You will not abandon me in the grave. Notice what he says. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will not abandon my body. He says, the Lord will not abandon me in the grave like we abandon a dead animal. Have you ever had to bury a dead animal? For years, we had goats. The dumbest animals that God ever created are goats. I hated every minute of having those goats. When I would come home from work, those goats would jump up on their little goat house and just start screaming at me till I fed them. And every day we had those goats, I said, I can't wait till we get rid of them. And I remember one day I was at home by myself. I had preached here on Sunday morning. It was cold and it was raining. And I looked out at the goat pen. And I looked out at that goat pen, and that one goat we had, his name was Duke. He was the dumbest goat that God ever made. That's why we called him Duke. And Duke was out there, and he was stiff as a board. And I thought, did this goat die? It's raining. It's Sunday. I've got to preach tonight, and I'm going to have to bury Duke. I went out there, and I grabbed Duke by the horns. Put him in the woods, and I had to bury him on the side of a hill, and it was pouring down rain. The whole time, I'm thinking, if, as soon as I can get rid of these goats, I'm going to. That goat was so stiff when I tried to cover him up, his feet was sticking out of the ground. I had to pull him out of, the, out of the grave. I had to keep digging and digging and digging. And finally, after about an hour and a half, I got old Duke buried. You know what I did? I abandoned his body to the grave. You know what David's saying? God will not abandon you. I love you more than you love an old goat. David, David is saying this God is my father, and he will not abandon me. Have you ever seen people that go back to a graveside? I rarely go back to a tombstone. Rarely. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but I just don't usually go back because I understand that my loved one's not there. Years ago, when I first became pastor here, every morning I come into work or go to eat lunch, I pass a graveyard. Big graveyard here in the town cemetery. And I remember a a young girl, a teenager in the county had passed. Loved the Lord. I didn't know her that well. Knew her dad just a little bit, but I'd drive by the graveyard, and I'd see him out there at her tombstone. Sometimes in the morning. Sometimes it'd be at lunch. It wasn't every day, but, boy, he was there a lot, and you could tell he was just brokenhearted. For months, drive by, see this guy. Just kept driving by. And it's like the Lord said, you need to just stop in and encourage this man. And I remember when I pulled in to the graveyard, I thought I'm, I may be making the biggest mistake of my life. But I said, i got to encourage this person. And I said, sir, can I talk to you? And he said, yeah, you can, preacher. And I, I, I shared a few things. We shared a few things about his daughter. I said, I know she had a strong faith. I said, she's known to be a solid Christian. And he said, I know, but I just can't get over this. And I said, can I share some scripture with you? And I remember reading Psalm 16 to him. I said, you know what David's talking about here? David is saying that this, this grave that your daughter's in, it's just a shell of her. She's with the Lord. And I said, look, David said, even, even my body, God's not going to abandon. He's not. And I said, David goes on to talk about how the Holy One will not see corruption. I said, because of the resurrection of Jesus, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he said, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Thank you for so much for giving me hope. Friends, when when he shares that, David has given us a picture of the resurrection. It's a message to the church. Peter takes this very psalm, and he preaches it to the thousands gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And he tells the people, and I'm going to paraphrase this. He's saying, David was not speaking of himself alone here. The patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day that he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath, on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the, of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God had raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to this fact. Many think Jesus meditated on this psalm when he died on the cross and said this, Into your hands I commit my spirit if god is sovereign if god is good if god is faithful what can the world do to you what a savior we have in jesus let's pray together father as we come to you in prayer father we thank you lord what a psalm father i pray that we can have this strong quiet confidence that david had lord how easy it is to face tomorrow when you're with us and you're already there Father, I'm so thankful that we can face death and life with confidence because you're sovereign, because you're good, because you're faithful. Father, we thank you, Lord, that our loved ones who have gone on, Lord, you did not abandon them in the grave. Father, they're with you now rejoicing. Father, living life for the first time. Lord, we thank you for that. David said, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What a blessed hope we have. Father, I pray that we, you would, that we would encourage each other in this. Father, if there's anyone here that's never placed their faith and trust in Jesus, Lord, they may be listening on social media. Father, help them to understand, Lord, that they are lost. They've broken your moral law. That Jesus died and took our sin debt on Calvary's cross. And that, and that he rose again so that we could be born again. That whosoever calls upon the Lord may be saved. Father, we thank you and bless you and give you the honor and glory that you alone deserve. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.